In Ephesians 1.1, we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Good morning and welcome to Bloomer Baptist Church. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. We are blessed greatly in Christ. We are blessed to worship him this morning. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we start a new series, the Building the New You series, Ephesians. We'll be looking to the book of Ephesians verse by verse over the next several months. Today will be an intro and a lot of information, so please forgive me if I read from my notes a lot or if the tone of this message, this sermon, just is a little bit different than normal. We'll be looking to the first two verses today. But first, let's talk about Ephesians in general. Ephesians is all about building the body. And it is bodybuilding at its finest. God is building a new you, a new us, a new we. Think about all those infomercials or ads between your favorite shows or videos. Ads for bodybuilding, fitness products, programs to help you look your finest. Trying to sell you on the benefits of losing weight, having a fit body. How to succeed or attain these things. Think about all these guys and gals at the gym for hours upon hours each day, each week, working out their bodies to have the best body possible, to get ripped. Want an easy way to remember a key idea of Ephesians? Ephesians is body building. Ephesians is building the body of Christ. Christ wants to make you into a new you, the best you, the fittest you possible, the one you are meant to be. Yes, he is building a new you. And through Christ's work, we are not just made new, but we are in a process of becoming who we are meant to be. We are justified and sanctified, saved by grace through faith and becoming more like him. We are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece in progress. And this growth that Jesus gives us, this body building, it doesn't just help us in some parts of our life, in spiritual parts of our life, but it helps us in all parts of life, and not just life now, but life eternal with him, and not just life ourselves, but life together with one another as believers, as his church. These believers at Ephesus, and we as believers today as his church still, often need reminded of who we are. Ephesians 2.10 in the ESV says, we are his workmanship, a work in progress. God is at work in you. We are his workmanship, it says. And in Ephesians 2.10, in the New Living Translation, it says we are God's masterpiece. It goes on further and says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned us to do. Ephesians has a lot of names. Ephesians has been referred to as a pinnacle of the New Testament, the church epistle, the Alps of the Bible, the Mount Whitney of the high Sierras of all scripture, the believer's bank, the Christian's checkbook, the treasure house of the Bible, a guide for spiritual health and maturity, 
and a survival manual for Christians. And depending on how much more research you do, you might be able to find more references, more titles referencing what the book of Ephesians is to the reader. You see, it builds up the body and has been life-changing to many. It is a favorite by many as it seeks to equip us as believers to thrive in a world that hates the message of Jesus Christ. Pastor J.D. Greer once said, Paul the Apostle writes to encourage believers to live well as we've been lifted from the graveyard of sin and called to shout the gospel into the darkened world. But if a believer in Christ fails to recognize the great privileges of their faith and the responsibilities which go along with their personal faith and the church, they will become spiritually malnourished. Malnourished. You see, Christians need reminded to take advantage of the great storehouse of spiritual nourishment found within these six chapters of godly knowledge found in Ephesians. Christians need reminded to eat, to work their body, to be the body, and to look to him for spiritual blessings and our responsibilities. Just as a child needs reminded to eat their veggies, eat their fruit, to eat their breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and maybe a snack, few snacks in between, we as Christians we as his need reminded to look to him and his ways. There are riches attached with God's grace. Ephesians 1.7 speaks of the riches of God's grace, saying, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Did you know that you are a wealthy man or woman or child of God? You're wealthy or rich. And we must dive in and not allow it just keep saving up, but use the savings constantly because this savings will never run out. Ephesians 3.8 speaks of the unfathomable riches. And Ephesians 3.16 speaks of the riches of his glory. And all this glory, this grace, these unfathomable riches are available to us today and every day. Still to this day, God is revealing them to us through his word and through his spirit because of Jesus Christ and the restored relationship we have by him and his grace, by God's love. Our riches are based on Christ's grace, and we are wealthy through him and his blessings. Tim Keller, pastor, author, theologian Tim Keller, speaking of Ephesians, states that this book is great. It is doctrinally rich and comprehensive, but much shorter than Romans. It's like a dream come true for those who come to appreciate the great wealth it contains. So let's talk a little bit about the contents of Ephesians. Ephesians is a balanced book. Six chapters divided between two equal parts. Three chapters each. Balanced like a barbell is, but this one is for spiritual bodybuilding. We will get ripped in new ways. We will grow our minds and our hearts through God's word. Only six chapters, only a few pages, roughly 155 verses, but divine beauty and power are found throughout this great book. The first half builds, lifts up, encourages the believer, the reader, with the blessings and privileges of the Christian, the follower of Christ. The second half teaches the responsibilities for Christians and the church, and these are still in existence today. John MacArthur says of Ephesians that it was written to build up weak Christians who might be prone to mistreat their great spiritual resources, 
not recognizing the great and valuable resource they have within them. As you can see, or as we will all see through this series, we as believers in Christ are spiritually rich and strong. And this is all because of Christ and God's grace. We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You can see that many of your favorite scriptures come from this great book of Ephesians. And Ephesians 4, 1 reminds us, in light of our great wealth, strength, and newfound life, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. What is this calling? This is what we see in Ephesians, in all of God's word. But enough intro, let's get to reading the first two verses. The salutation, the greeting, Paul's intro to his letter in Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. We'll start with Ephesians verse 1, which says, chapter 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. In the Lord Jesus Christ. We see right away that this is a letter from Paul to Ephesus. Specifically, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Some have argued that this may not have been from Paul. Because it has a much more condensed salutation than other letters he wrote. Or because the tone seems to be more generalized, less personal than others. But I believe, as most biblical scholars do today, that Paul indeed is the author, as it says so right here in verse 1, but also the, throughout these scriptures, throughout the six chapters, it speaks of him. Some also believe that this letter may be more generalized or a difference in tone that may have not been meant just for the Ephesians, just for Ephesus. This letter might have been meant to go to Ephesus first, but then circulated throughout Asia, throughout this area. And this is why he speaks more in generalization, more generally. Others believe that maybe Paul purposely wrote this message with a more general tone as it was what God willed. So that all the church, including us today, could benefit from its contents. With all this said, we move forward. Yes, I believe, as most do believe, that this was Paul writing. Paul is the author, and it is intended for Ephesus, for all of the area, for us still today. God will use these words to remind us of the great blessings and privileges it is to be a Christian, but also of the responsibilities we have as his believers, his faithful, his saints, and his church, his body of believers throughout the world, what we should be doing in unity together. Paul writes a letter, but who is this Paul and who is this Ephesus that this letter is going to? Yes, many of you have been in this church for many, many, many years, almost your entire lives, but some of you may not know. Some of you may not be familiar with who this Paul is, or maybe we all just need a little reminder. This will be the focus of the rest of this message today. We'll focus on verse 1 and 2. We'll look to Paul, Ephesus, and us. We start with talking about Paul, the author of this book. In verse 1, we see that Paul has dual authority for his authorship and him being an apostle. A dual source of authority is, number one, he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. This means he is sent by him, sent by Jesus to preach 
teach, pray, work miracles, build others within the church up, and to write the word of God is inspired by him. And number two, this is also by the will of God. He had dual authority, having number one, been sent by Jesus, and two, by God the Father's will. This, to me, is amazing and greatly applicable to our lives. We'll get to the us application later, but why is this amazing to me? Paul is an apostle by Jesus in the will of God, not elected by popular vote. He did not just wake up one day and think to himself, I'm going to change my life and I'm just going to be an apostle of Jesus now. The general public did not elect him. God did. It was by the will of God, the will of Jesus. Jesus is revelation. Jesus is glorious revelation to him in the will of God the Father that he is an apostle. A man like Paul would become an apostle of Christ. A man who persecuted Christians, tortured them, dragged them out of their homes, and drove them out of their towns, stoning them, sentencing them to death. This Paul, this Saul, as he was known previously. Jesus chooses, despite Saul's past, Paul's past, to not look away from Paul, not condemn him, but to look to Paul and convert him, save him, and use him for the Father's will. Paul has an authority of an apostle by Jesus in the will of God the Father. We first see this Paul, previously known as Saul, in Scripture in Acts 7.58, where he is seen watching the garments at his feet of the people who are stoning Stephen, one of God's own, one of God's servants, all because this Stephen was serving Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, working miracles in the name of Jesus, doing God's will. This Saul, this Paul, was watching him be stoned. And later, Paul, Saul, would approve of Stephen's execution and persecute the church even further. But even this man, Paul, was not too far gone for Jesus in the will of God to call as an apostle of his own to be sent for God's will and set apart as a saint, to be part of and serve God's kingdom, God's church. This is amazing. God can, Paul considered himself the foremost of sinners, spoken in 1 Timothy. Yet Paul would be known as the apostle to the Gentiles, spoken in Romans eleven thirteen, And he would go on to write almost half the books in the New Testament, 13 books, in Acts 9, you can read of his conversion on the road to, Dam to Damascus. Jesus' revelation to him, the day when Jesus appeared in glory to him alone. This man, previously known as Saul, and persecutor of God's people and church, would become Paul and the author of this Ephesians letter. This book we read today. Ephesus, let's now look to who Paul is writing to now. Ephesus was a major port town or city in Asia or modern-day Turkey. It was said to be the fourth or fifth largest city in the world. It has been referenced as a gateway to Asia, but also a gateway for the gospel. It had a large group of new and growing faithful believers, evidenced through Acts 19 and 20, but also evidenced through this new letter from Paul to the Ephesians while he was in prison. 
But like the world today, many unbelievers as well, and there is great idol worship in evil worldly ways. We can see this by the temple of Diana and the great stadium. People came to worship false gods and acts of man. The temple was so magnificent that it was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. And the stadium held 25,000 people, a great feat of the day. In fact, 2,000 years later, you can still see the ruins today. There was great spiritual warfare going on in this city. Ephesus was home to many spiritually impoverished men and women, many non-believers. But also there was this group of many new believers needing to be discipled, needing to be reminded of who they are in Christ. Paul had visited Ephesus before, in fact, several times, and he had stayed there preaching, teaching for three years of his third journey, sharing the gospel and making disciples. Acts 19 and 20 speaks of Paul's previous work in Ephesus. And like Paul, we should be looking to see how can we teach, how can we preach, how can we proclaim Christ in our city that we find ourselves in today. But here now in the book of Ephesians, about the year AD 60 to AD 62, Paul writes to them. He's not in their presence. He writes to them. He wishes he was in their presence, but he is in <coughs> prisoned. He's in prison. Reference in chapter 3, 4, and 6. And he writes to encourage these people to remind them, to lift them up of who they are to be as Christians, their blessings and responsibilities. You see, these believers were wealthy beyond measure by their faith, yet possibly lived as what has been referred to as beggars due to not recognizing the great wealth they had within them. There was a story not long ago in the Los Angeles Times speaking of a, an elderly couple who were found dead in their apartment. The autopsies found their deaths to be due to malnutrition. But detectives later found $40,000 in their closet. You see, sometimes us people who are wealthy beyond measure need reminded of where that wealth is to be found and how to best use it. Paul writes to remind these people of their wealth to build the body of Christ up that they would not be malnourished, that they might fulfill the responsibilities of their faith and as saints. We now come to us. You see, like Paul, Jesus has made us new. We are God's workmanship, his masterpieces in progress, and God wants to use us to do his will. No matter how bad your past is or your present, Continue to look to the great wealth you have, the blessings you have in Christ by grace and faith. And as new saints, those set apart by our faith in Jesus, part of a new group, a new kingdom, let us remember our responsibilities. We are saints, faithful believers set apart by faith in Jesus, just like those in Ephesus. The people of Ephesus needed a reminder how about us? How about you? How about me? I think we need a reminder today. Every single day, we must be reminded of the great wealth we have, the great blessings we have, the great privileges we have, being believers, faithful in Christ Jesus, saints. We are in Christ Jesus, and we also live in an area like Ephesus. People around us need to see us reflecting the, the truth that we have within us, 
that Christ Jesus lives in us today. If this letter was addressed to us today, would you be one of the ones included in Paul's salutation when he addresses the saints who are faithful in Jesus? We read on now to what Paul will speak to these saints, to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Some things are worthy of being repeated. Because otherwise we can just flash over it, just run past it, just lift through it too fast. Sometimes we need to slow down and really let that verse work in us and through us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a common greeting in the early church and one which Paul would often use. But despite it being common, we should not just read over it. We must think about it. We must soak it in because it has great meaning. Paul was not just saying hello here. Yes, this was a great hello, a nice salutation. One we can say to people in, us, in, in our presence today. Grace to you and peace, Tim. Grace to you and peace from our God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, Rick. Grace to you and peace back there, Greg and Belinda Onash. Thank you for being here. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm not just saying hello. Paul was not just saying hello. Paul was praying that God's peace and blessings would be upon them as they read what is to come. Paul is stating that what he writes comes not from him. It says from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And number two, number one is, is Paul is stating that what he writes is not from him, but from the dual authority of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Number two, Paul is reminding them that all believers, all believers may have great blessings, grace, and peace. They have reason to rejoice in the Lord. We need this reminder today too. We need to remember we have great reasons to rejoice in the Lord. We have grace and peace. A grace, a peace which God mercifully, freely continues to give. Not by our might, but by his. We need to also greet people. Greet one another in this way. Who in your life, who can you think of that might need a greeting like this? They might need reminded of the grace and peace which they have. Or maybe they need shown, they need told of this grace and peace that they have because maybe they've never received this grace and peace. They've never trusted in Jesus. They've never accepted his grace and peace. Think about that. In this series, we'll be looking to see the great wealth we have as believers in Christ Jesus. We'll look to see the new you he is building. But we'll also be looking to our new responsibilities. Are you ready to step up, to bulk up, to run up to the task God is calling for you? Because God is building a new you. He is making his people in the church into his masterpiece, his workmanship. We are new and we have blessings, grace and peace and responsibilities. Let's look to what this means together throughout this series. As we close, I want to remind you, just as the will of God and Jesus chose to use Paul as a saint, God also sees you as a saint and desires to use you too. All Christians are saints, despite what one says. Every believer, true follower, that is, 
of Christ as a saint. But this does not mean that every believer, believer acts so-called saintly 100% of the time. We must remain faithful, accept his forgiveness and grace, look to him, and he will continue to work in you and through you. Being a saint does not mean we are high and mighty. It means we are set apart by the new life we have in and through Christ. You are part of a group, and we must find unity in him, in Jesus. In our human eyes, in Paul's letter here, it means we are faithful. In God's eyes, it means we are saints. They are one and the same, but from different viewpoints. We must stop looking at ourselves through the world's eyes. Take a moment to look at ourselves through God's eyes and see what he wants you to be, who he wants you to be. Be that person. Be a saint. Be faithful. Be new. Live in a way worthy of your calling. Be set apart by the hope within you. Proclaim the Lord with your life. Each of us probably remembers that day we trusted in Christ Jesus as Lord. We should remember our story, our testimony of conversion, just like Paul on the road to Damascus. We should also remember and cherish the great blessings and responsibilities which we possess because of that day. And we should proclaim these things to one another, being united in a common calling, grace, hope, and peace, which we have. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer now. And then we'll sing a song in closing. Lord, we thank you for your grace and peace, the hope and love that we have through Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord, we just thank you that you have made us new, restored, redeemed individuals through Christ. We thank you that you do not stop there, but you continue to build a new you in all of our lives each and every single day. We are justified in being sanctified, being made more like him continually. Lord, thank you for your continual grace and mercy. May we do your work. May we proclaim your glory. May we live as your saints. Amen.